Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson of the Athletic. Notre Dame still with the uh, Clemson glow from the 35-14 victory over the weekend, but uh, we are a couple days away from being in Baltimore, and uh, Notre Dame has to change gears completely for the Naval Academy. Notre Dame is a 15.5-point favorite which has Tim O'Malley astonished and uh, the over under is down to 39 and a half guys. What are your early, uh, early impressions about this matchup this weekend in Baltimore? I think Pete and I always joke about, does the bye week could have come at a good time? Did maybe the Navy week came at a good time because you literally have to change every aspect of your team's focus after Clemson to get ready for Navy, as opposed to you. Boston you can't even College. go. You can't even go good on good in practice. No, you can't. Everything as has Marcus to change. Marcus Freeman so, pointed out. So maybe that's good. Um, the way Notre Dame is playing defense and the way they can run the ball, the 15 just looks crazy to me. It started at 19. Obviously, there are many difficult things in wagering for a football game. And my advice to you, if you listen to this podcast, do not bet on the Notre Dame football game because I have no idea what's going to happen. 15 from 19 is kind of nuts if the weather's not bad, right? That just that and seems the, a little. And the nuts. forecast has changed since originally they were. It's going to rain on Friday, but not on Saturday. Yeah, it keeps dropping. So I don't. I don't know there. The way Notre Dame is uh, running the football now, you figure we're going to get into this a lot on this podcast. But if you figure if you stay true to running the ball, no matter how good Navy is at stopping the run, it's kind of hard to not win this game if you're Notre Dame. Yes, I agree. It it would be very difficult not to win the game. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it seems like Navy has shifted a little bit where like they're able to kind of keep the points down. um, Whereas, and maybe it's not all just like pace of play of their offense doing it. Like I think Brian Newberry, their defensive coordinator is talented. Um, Notre Dame has stuck it to him more than once. Um, But I think we would all agree. This is not a a Notre Dame offense that it can stick it to you on the ground, um, but it's not going to throw it all over you the way that they have been able to do the past few years. So it's, um, feels a little tricky. I would agree with O'Malley just to sort of stay away from it. Um, the the lines and the over-under are like, those are big red flags to me about like kind of a something knows something I don't know. Um, so gives me a little bit of pause to be like, oh, Notre Dame is on a rocket ship ride to the moon here after last weekend. Um, maybe And like, look, it's what was the, the, you know, progress is not a straight line. Right. Maybe you come back to earth a little bit after last weekend's greatest football performance in the last, you know, ten years. Yeah, greatest uh, you know, prosperity is greater to bounce back from than adversity. That's just, that's the way we are wired yeah. as 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 people as athletes. I, you know, I will say that um, you know Navy's has put forth some really good defensive numbers. They're holding teams to under three point two, which you know, put that in perspective because Clemson was even better than that. Notre Dame destroyed that. But I will say this, that, you know, Memphis scored 37 against them and SMU scored 40 and Houston mm-hmm. scored 38. And so against the better teams in the AAC, which are pass oriented, they've been dissected. Jack Cohn would destroy 
yes this pass defense because that's a good they, way to look at it yeah. yeah they are they are horrific against the pass um you know the numbers the 3.18 per rush that's impressive the 88 yards rushing per game against them is tempered a little bit by the fact that they have faced the second fewest rushing attempts in the country this is a very pass heavy conference uh five of the top 31 i believe passing teams in the country come out of the aac so uh you know so there's some conflicting things here to deal with but i tend to agree with you guys i mean if you can navy's done a really nice job against the run there's just absolutely no doubt about that they've got a you know obviously they're undersized they've got a really nice productive three-man front um you know their linebackers are, are are pretty good they've got a uh you know, John Marshall, number one, you'll see him coming off the edge. You want to talk about a stat sheet. Stuff. I was going to say, dude, stats that dude, on that guy are that dude is the, Yeah, he's really good. He's been around for a while. He's a very veteran player. He also weighs 209 pounds coming off the edge. So, um, so you know, Joel a, and Blake Fisher have yeah, a role in the game. Right. So, um, you know, there's a lot to dissect here, but, but certainly, you know, Nordham coming off the performance they have, but I, but Anyone that's been in athletics, anyone that's coached athletics knows that coaching a team during times of prosperity is more difficult than, than bouncing back from adversity. As long as you have, um, you know, as long as you have a group that's focused and, and wants to get better. Yeah, and, and Tim, I want to bring this up because we, we talked about it very briefly before going to interviews. This is the time, technically, because Navy has a very poor pass defense. I think they're 114th. In past defense, or that number doesn't make sense to you, add this one. There are only eight teams worse in football yards per attempt. Navy's at 8.8. So every time they throw, including incompletions, it's 8.8 yards against them. This is the time to try Drew Pine passing, to try to get things going for maybe the USC game and the bowl game or whatever. However, what is the one way to keep this game close? Try to get Drew Pine going with yes. the passing game. So it's a it's an interesting catch twenty two for Freeman and Reese because they're worse against the pass. They're good against the run. Michael Mayer is a walking mismatch. Tobias Merriweather's a mismatch. You can get Braden Lindsay free finally. You maybe get Lorenzo Styles to catch the ball with his hands or his chest or his arms or something like that. But Drew Pine's pass is getting tipped at the line is one way to keep a game close, right? Yeah, no doubt. Hey, you talk to uh <laughs> Well, they should be less likely to bat down passes than some of the other bigger <laughs> teams that they've I don't know if that exists. But we know, I, don't, I don't believe it anymore. We know that there's at least there has been at least one in every game, right? That that he's been I a starter. There's one in this game. I can't there has. We really no, should track which one. body part was used to bat down the pass because last week I think it was armpit. Yeah, this well, ball, is, this ball that is tipped is guaranteed to go straight up in the air, Tim. There is, is no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, it is part of the offensive lines responsibility to not allow defensive linemen to put their arm up and block a pass with their armpit. But that, that can be difficult too, because you're trying to, you're trying to block the guy. You're trying to do a couple things. I will say that one stat that jumps out at me about Navy that shows a real shortcoming for Navy is that in the red, like you expect them to have great red zone numbers and, and your, right. your, uh, your insider, is it Bill Wagner? Yes. Yeah, that's a great job. Um, said that that's yeah said that that's really key that navy has to uh, capitalize on those they are 106 in the country in scoring touchdowns in the red zone which just so, seems strange for the navy yeah right? and now they're to back to their backup quarterback who came in when ty lavatai got hurt last year against notre dame yep 
he's small, he's quicker, you know, he can do more in the, in the running game. Uh, but I think I said the other day, man, I have never seen so many five, eight skill position players on the field at once since I was at Marion high school. Uh, it's, it's, they are small and their fullback who, who I really like Daba Fofana is five, eight, two Oh six, I think yeah. two Oh eight, yeah. something like that. I mean, we know, I like him too. Um, we know what Navy's fullbacks when they're good are like though. And their guys, Notre Dame players don't tackle. Well, that's not the case this week. I mean, the, the Navy fullbacks that beat Notre Dame were better football players than a lot of those Notre Dame guys going against them. And Kyle Uckle and Alexander teach, they were remarkable football players. And I just, that talent isn't there, but even when it's been there and Malcolm Perry, Notre Dame dominated Malcolm Perry in 2019. Remember how much effort we put into scouting that and see what can happen here. And they, it is, uh, they have learned to play Navy and I am, I am very wary of if I were picking this game to pick against Notre Dame covering 15 points, because you figure 18, they destroyed Navy. I know it got a little closer, but they, they destroyed Navy out, out in San Diego. 19, they murdered Malcolm Perry. They didn't play in 20 and 21. Marcus Freeman absolutely hammered with Kurt Heinisch Navy. It's been since 17 when basically the team didn't show up for practice because they lost to Miami that has been close. Yeah, it's just like with Navy, the the things that always concern me and this is like over 20 years or 15 (laughs) years or however long (laughs) the option is like, how well do they run the ball? How few penalties do they commit? Because if they're like top two or three in both, then you're automatically in trouble before the game starts. Notre Dame is number one in penalties against. Um, so that's the same as it always was. But like their rush offense is, has fallen off from top five. Now it's just top 10. But like for Navy, that's a huge drop. Yeah, that's um, a good point. I think this is their worst rush offense in terms of yards per game in at least the last 10 years. So it... I don't know. It. Um, I'm sorry. It was a little bit worse last year. I was so going to say the last that, two. Yeah. The last two years have been a drop. Like they getting over 300 yards a game has been fairly common for them, and the last couple of years have been like in the 220s, 230s, which is like a that's a that's a tough adjustment to make if you're Navy. I look. I look at more uh, what they average per carry. Yeah, and they're under four yards per carry, and that, and that I mean that goes hand in hand with what you're saying. They're in the they're at 236, 237 for, you know, per game. Uh, but but when they're under four yards per carry, they're not they're not gashing you. You know, I, of course they can't, you know, they can't throw the football. So when you look at 20-yard plays over the course of the season, they're going to have fewer because they don't throw it. But, and our line is worse at throwing the football, according to Bill Wagner, than Lavatai. Like, they've, they've lost their ability to occasionally throw the football, too, in Xavier, our line. He doesn't throw as well. So that... Usually when you beat Notre Dame and your Navy are right there, there is a pop pass. There's a throw that goes for 50. Yeah. They can't yeah. throw it all it's, with him. They do really have, hard. they do have a guy number nine and he's a little bit bigger, six foot, 192 Masai Maynor who will, who may come in. He was three or five the other, the other day, he may come in and do try to do some things through the air, but uh, our line is, he is, he is really quick, man. He's really quick, but he is so small. Uh, he could get snapped in half this weekend by Notre Dame's D line. Pete, though, uh, on Pete's numbers there, like Navy in 19, the year I said they destroyed, they were ranked, remember, they destroyed Malcolm Perry. They were number one in the nation at six yards a carry, 52 rushing touchdowns, 360 yards rushing a game. That is insanity. Um, and the year that I said that they were down, I think they only won three games in 2017. 
they still are at 351 rushing yards and 42 rushing touchdowns when I thought they weren't any good. It was Zach <laughs> Aby, Abby, right? Zach Aby, Aby, yeah. Aby. Um, yeah, so that you're right, Pete. That it's it's they're a good running team because they run all the time. Sometimes they're a good running team because just no one can stop them. And remember yeah. when they they came in a couple of years ago and they were ranked. And I remember I said, "Man, Nordin can torch these safeties." And then yeah. Brian Kelly had a press conference and said, "I really am impressed with their safeties." And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> so a similar thing happened to me this week in that number eighteen, their free safety, Rayon Lane the third. Man, you I. You know, and again, I don't I don't see every play of every game, right. but I try to watch as much as I possibly can. And number 18, their free safety has been getting torched. And then I got a little feedback from from uh out on the north side of town that man, we're really impressed with the way number 18 plays. And I'm like, really? So I, I'm I'm sticking by I think that he's going to get torched because a few years, what year was that when they were? 19 when they were right. Yeah. 23rd. 19 yep. when it right. When they were ranked 23rd. And I thought, and these safeties aren't any good. And Brian Kelly, you know, Brian Kelly can talk a lot of hyperbole, but when he talks about the opponent, I think if he specifies an individual, right. Right. he is impressed. He was impressed. He is impressed by, by that guy. I'm not impressed by number 18 <laughs> at all. So let, I, I'm, we're going to be keeping an eye on him on Saturday to see just how effective he is. Uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to, we have, we have actually, I think some really good questions on Navy in the second segment. So I want to get past Navy here and real quickly touch upon, uh, Notre Dame basketball, which opens tonight. Uh, they play Radford and yesterday Mike Bray listed off the six mid-majors that he's lost to at Purcell Pavilion and Radford happens to be one of those list those off Tim Priester because I believe I was sitting there for every single one of those games I am a magnet for the upsets Radford was 63 60 right going from memory I don't know the scores but I know that Loyola Marymount, Loyola Marymount was in there. I know Karagody. North Dakota State was in there Ball State there. was in there Indiana was, State was there Indiana Central State Michigan was there that was a long time ago. Central beat Chris Thomas's team 68-67. Not the home opener, but in a game. Yeah. They didn't make the tournament. That was the first year Thomas missed the tournament. Yeah. I didn't he didn't Bray didn't mention that one, but yeah, that was he's six blocked of that them out of his right. life. Chris yeah, Thomas. Perhaps, is but, so. but he had he had those on the tip of his tongue. And you know, I don't know a lot about Radford. I'm gonna try to look a little bit at them before we get to tonight's game, but um I'm told they got a bunch of transfers in their athletic and Bray said to me on the way walking in, I bumped him on the way walking into the press gathering that Youngstown State that they play on Sunday, he thinks is better than Radford. So this is a 72-hour period where they're on upset alert. And these are two teams. This is kind of like, it's kind of like Corpus Christi last year where they really struggle with them and beat them. And it's like, what the hell? Why are they struggling with Corpus Christi? Corpus Christi ended up being really good. And that was a that was a resume builder for Notre Dame among non-conference games. And it sounds like the Radford and Youngstown State, if they can survive them, which Marcus, <laughs> I know, but I you just lost Pete. <laughs> I know, but like Marcus Hammond is out. He's got an MCL and yeah, he's gonna be yeah. out for for a couple of weeks. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like Michael so, Mayer being lost for the football so, team. So we shall see, but it'll be interesting because Notre Dame has a, has a very veteran basketball team. They've got a couple exciting freshmen and JJ Starling, who I thought was tentative in the exhibition game last week. And then Van Allen Lubin, who they're really going to count on a lot as being a, a guy that plays a lot up front. We're going to see Tim T Dom Campbell is definitely in the mix he has to and be, has right? moved ahead of it. Yeah. Because because he is a guy, remember we talked about 
do they have anybody they can dump the ball down to in the post? I'm not sure you can rely on him time after time like you could Paul Atkinson, but he is at least somebody that knows what he should do when you post him up downside, and he is a hoss. He's 268. I do want to point out that Notre Dame's loss to Radford was their worst team, and Notre Dame lost to Radford at home, and the Irish committed four turnovers and still lost to Radford at home by three points. So that's just not a very good Notre Dame team. I think you'll see a little bit different in this one. And actually, some of those super seniors were uh, were on Notre Dame's team when they lost to Radford, so they can get a extract a measure of revenge on their way to the Sweet 16 by beating Radford in the opener. Segment two coming up, burning up boards all Notre Dame football in segment two. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Are you looking for a unique gift for the Notre Dame fan on your gift list this holiday season? then visit ndcertificate.com. Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or celebrate the birth of a child or grandchild into the Irish family. That's www.ndcertificate.com. Segment two, burning up the boards. Air Pirate 73 has our first question. Both Marcus Freeman and Al Golden have had success against the triple option in years past. Navy's starting QB is out. Do you think this is the type of game that Notre Dame can have the first shutout of the Freeman era? Uh, it, it could be, but I want to argue. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman made it sound like El Golden had great success against triple option when he was at Temple and in Miami. And so I looked that up and it's not really accurate, frankly. He did learn uh, though, right? He kind of learned along the way, right? El there Golden. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, not as, not as readily as, as Marcus Freeman did, which I brought up to him today. Uh, and he knew that number uh, three, was it 300 and, that was 569. 500, 569. 500, Navy rushed for 569 <laughs> yards in the first game that Marcus Freeman coordinated against Navy in 2017. You imagine Next, watching that as a Notre Dame fan or as a, I mean, as a Cincinnati fan? Like, that is out of this planet. So they had like 360 against Notre 7. Dame. 7.9 nine yards, <laughs> yards per carry. Now, the next year, let me put everybody a little bit more at ease hearing that. The next year... Cincinnati beat Navy 42 to nothing and held them to 120 yards rushing and, and really shut them down. And then last year, Nordame held them to two field goals and 11 first downs and shut down the run. And so Marcus Freeman gets it. But, you know, I, I, I here I am. I have a tendency to ask Marcus Freeman a question on Monday, and then I feel like I need to follow up on that uh, three days later. So anyway, Al Golden, uh, he struggled against it the first time when he was at uh, – uh, when he was at Temple, he gave up 420 yards rushing against Navy. And to be fair, every time, I think just about every time that Al Golden went against triple option, it was Paul Johnson that was coaching it, 
who is the the king of the architect of of triple option football present day triple option football but you know golden gave up 361 uh 287 335 318 to navy and georgia tech along the way so um that's why i asked marcus freeman if he would be consulting with him um a little bit more this week because freeman's had more success than l golden did i do like talking to people who are at practices the feedback that i get is like marcus is still marcus is still heavily involved with the defense in terms of like how he spends his practice time um and this isn't really one of those weeks where I think anyone's fighting over like whose scheme you're running. It's just like, it's a one-off what works, what's best practices. Let's do that. So I would think that Marcus would be even more involved with the defense this week than normally. And normally he's heavily involved with the defense. So it's, I, I would think that the combination of Marcus Freeman's success, Al Golden's experience, the fact that Navy is, not great um, compared to some of the Navy teams that have really pushed Notre Dame. If you put that all in together, maybe you can talk yourself into Notre Dame comfortably getting out of this one. Um, but shut out though, shut out. And that's a shut out. Question. Yeah. I uh, predicting a shout out is even more ridiculous than predicting right. a defensive touchdown or a pump <laughs> well, touchdown. I mean, you know, these things, some, some things you can see if you use your eyes and some things you can't, but um, I, I will say that the issue with uh, I, I would have is looking back at last year's game. Not that it has to be just one off person like this, but Kurt Heinish was an absolute dominant oh, yeah. force. Like there's never been anyone better individually in a game. He had seven, stuffs and five tackles for loss and 10 tackles he would just they couldn't touch him um i don't know if that'll happen with jason edemiel or howard cross it does seem like notre dame's got some veterans that can play this style of football though right i mean you look at jd bertrand jack kaiser the adamiolas xavier watts even xavier watts I was going to bring it. xavier watts this. had a great game against the last tariq time. bracy if you just start him at corner is built for this it is a team i i, I feel like i would be shocked if Notre Dame doesn't play good defense in this game, it doesn't, I doesn't mean it's shut out, but I would be really surprised if they, if they really struggle the whole game, I do not believe Navy will be shut out by Notre Dame. Yeah. The last thing I'm going to do is predict a shutout before they play Navy. They could easily score on the first drive and Notre Dame yeah, could then exactly. settle in. That's the other thing about this game is they, they right. usually look pretty, I think they had 40 yards on the first play last year, right? They didn't run a reverse to start the game or game play number two. Their longest just... play was 32 yards. Okay. Last so year. that was, that was the first so play. That of the was game. the play. That yeah. was the opening play. Yeah. Next question, Club Fred 90. Each of the last three years, Navy has had a losing record. What are the reasons for this drop-off? And also, should Notre Dame stick with the offense huddling between plays? I think part of the reason is that they're not a great fit for the American Athletic Conference. You know, I, I mentioned the five teams are in the top 31 in passing offense. And I, and I, you know, and plus, it's got to be awfully difficult for Ken Niamatololo to continually replenish the talent that he has, you know, and you find some chemistry with one group and then you have to bring in another group of recruits that are, let's face it, they're, they're all the guys that want to be in the military and that, you know, the major colleges don't want. So I think part of it for me is the, the misfit in a passing conference. I just, it's better. Like they have better opponents now. Yeah. You know, when they were independent, their their strength of schedule was much worse. So that's tricky. I mean, they got to change up like the independent, 
Yeah. Uh, changing where, opponents, right? Yeah. You're changing opponents. Teams aren't prepared for you. They're just like, what is this? Um, you know, whereas now Notre Dame has been a conference game. It's always been a conference game for them, but like when Cincinnati is good, like uh, Memphis is good. Like, yeah. That's like Houston's good. They just um, play better teams now. SMU can score. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. Those are, you know, temples down, but a lot of times temples not right. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky conference now for them. Yeah, and uh, I think independence is the best point. If you're playing Temple once, they're not as prepared for you. If you're playing Houston once or Memphis, remember it was might have been 2015 or 16. We're out in uh we're on the East Coast. It must have been 15. We're on the East Coast watching a game, and Navy was had only one loss. It was to Notre Dame. They had Keenan Reynolds, and they just bulldozed Memphis to the point it was the first time they had probably played them because yeah. they rejoiced like, yeah, it's not all that fun, right? When you're faith. This is team one time and they're diving at your kneecaps and stuff right. like that. So it's, it well, can be tough that way. Marcus Freeman, 2017 against them. And Cincinnati just held them 10 points. You can't dive at their kneecaps anymore either outside the line of scrimmage. Marcus Freeman right. brought that up. Yeah. I mean, that I, was a big deal. Getting guys cut down on the corner was why yeah. Notre Dame looked terrible sometimes against them. They just, all of a sudden there's a pitch and there's no one there. Slot, <laughs> so, a yeah, body has been destroyed. Slot backs are averaging 7.5 yards per carry. Yeah, that yeah. that has made, that's a good point. That has made a huge difference as well. Uh, two questions here. One from Jamwo212. Why is Tommy Reese and Nordham having such a hard time getting a 2023 quarterback to take a visit, much less flip, getting a chance to play behind an elite O-line with a top five running back room? and a ton of perimeter talent coming in seems like it should sell. And then a question from Mel, 12170. Do you think anyone inside the Goog may be checking back channels on which quarterbacks may be entering the portal? Pete Sampson, uh, you had discussions with somebody from The Athletic about Notre Dame and a portal transfer quarterback. Right. Uh, Devin Leary is a name that I had heard. Um, and so just happened to be on our other podcast over at the athletic, the Shamrock, we had, uh, Eric McLean, who's ACC network analyst, former Clemson offensive lineman. We talked about the Clemson game, but also sort of asked for a scouting report on Leary. Um, you know, very impressed with him, um, was kind of confused why he dropped off so much at the beginning of this year and felt, but felt like he was getting back to how he was playing last year. Um, even in the game against Clemson when they lost um, was starting to see some bits and pieces of him, his skill set come back, uh, but then has a torn pack out for the year. MJ Morris is sort of a freshman there. Who's, I don't want to say he's like Graham Mertz's uh, Wisconsin, but that's ultimately what led Jack Cohn to leave Wisconsin is like, there was a young up and coming, the future guy there. Um, and Devin Leary is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place with the peck and the NFL and does he need to play more football? Um, but I think Notre Dame will be a, a contender there if he decides to do the grad transfer route. I think we're going to discuss grad transfers or transfers ad nauseum until they get two for the next four months. Um, in terms of why it's hard to get a 2023 quarterback in, this is not an excuse as much as it is a reason for me. If you think back, and I will point out other coaches and coordinators and recruiters have done this like Notre Dame got a top level-ish quarterback recruit in 11 12 13 14 15 if you're going by Golson Keel Zaire Kaiser Wimbush but since then Wimbush was 15 so they got book 16 maybe it's hard to recruit against Brandon Wimbush the 46th ranked overall player right a couple years later Phil Dracovic is what the 50th something overall player I've lost track now after that they only pull in Brendan Clark 
You get Tyler Buckner, who's a top 55, top 60 player. You pull in Steve Angeli. CJ Carr is waiting in the wings. It can be hard to be a 2023 quarterback that knows the reality of Tyler Buckner, grad transfer, and I'm going to get passed by CJ Carr possibly. I'm just saying that people do math now, and if you do math, it's hard to pull in a freshman 2023 quarterback. And I, and I also think that we, like this question has been asked 8,000 times of us and, you know, why can't they get a 23 quarterback? And I don't think that we've considered the fact that maybe Notre Dame is just looking at a transfer quarterback. Oh no, instead. I, that I, with that, I don't want a 2023 fallback right, quarterback. Right. I but never like, again want a fallback. Like th- this topic keeps coming up yeah. and I, and he, I don't hear or see a lot of people say, well, maybe because they just want to get a transfer quarterback. And I think, you know, Pete, I think you, I mean, we kind of heard this simultaneously. You guys were the first one to report about Devin Leary, um, you know, and whether it's him or, you know, Armstrong from Virginia, that's a name that that's kicked around. I, I would take either one Armstrong struggled this year and, and Leary is injured. It is a right pack. He is a right-handed throwing quarterback. So that's, that's not ideal. I don't, you know, I mean, if he came in, I don't want to, I don't want to speculate too far because we'll find out about that, but I don't think that he would be available for activity in the spring. Uh, Um, He had a press call a couple weeks ago that I listened into where he talked about his rehab timeline. um, And he said, you know, if it was an, if he was a non quarterback, it'd probably be four months, which you'd be back for spring, but he's a quarterback. So it's, he's, he's making the rotation with his body. Um, And so I think it was James Andrews did it or his group did it. And, said like you have to be extra extra careful with this so that's why it may be more like a six month um you know if in a six month wherever he is uh whether it's a mini camp or a spring practice he's not going to be full go yeah. to do it i think that was why my initial reaction to jared patterson's injury was wow that's really going to compromise right. his off-season strength and conditioning it wasn't now, even the injury it- that compromised him Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, and, and of course there are varying degrees of, I mean, this, this, in addition to what you're saying, Pete, about the rotation of the arm, et cetera, this still seems like a, a, a much longer rehab to it. So maybe the severity is greater, but um, I, you know, James Andrews did the surgery. I think it'll be, I think it'll be just I'm, fine. And uh, Devin Leary would, would look very, Brendan Armstrong would look very good in a Nordam uniform next year as well. Giant tangent for the next, uh, for December, January, and February, Tim, but you mentioned it. I'm not saying Notre Dame feels this way, but if you don't get one of your one, two, or three quarterback wish list in a class and you have somebody coming in like CJ Carr a class later, I would much rather have a transfer quarterback. Absolutely. Not even close. There's a ready made. Every single recruit you bring in has more than a 50% chance of stinking at Notre Dame quarterbacking. Yeah, in the history, go through fifty years and one tell that has already good. proven himself as opposed on the to a guy that's level. been proven. Right? Was, yeah. it 30, it, was was his touchdown interception ratio thirty five to five last year? Is that right? I, I think it was thirty five five or thirty four five or something. Okay, something good that you could win a lot something of games good, with. Something good, something really good. Next from Sigils, and we're going to combine it as well. What can Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese do to build upon the nearly restored confidence of Drew Pine? Do you work in a few downfield routes against Navy and a few more against Boston College in the hopes of building toward a Chapel Hill level pine <laughs> for USC? And related to this is factor 37. Despite needing to improve it for the rest of the season, does Notre Dame actually need to pass a little more against Navy 
in order to increase their number of offensive possessions this weekend? I like factors question because I did not think about that one. I, one. Exactly. And I include that because I figured you want to respond to that because it is a bit of a dilemma. On one hand, you don't want to put everything in the hands of the passing game and then you're punting the ball to Navy and now you're limiting your possessions. On the other hand, you can really throw against this group. I, I you know, I look at more, I mean, Nording's passing game is Nording's passing game. People, I think a lot of people are looking for, right. A lot of people are looking for how can they make a significant improvement? There's not going to be a significant improvement in 2022, but you know, you want you'd like to beat USC. I know you can probably, you are going to run the football against USC, but it's still USC and you know, they're going to be able to score. Yeah. So you're going to have to put some points up. I, compl- I, I include this because I knew you want to respond to that. And I think that it's a bit of a dilemma. I would imagine that it's just keep, I, I would think they'd want to play at a faster pace. Notre Dame. Would yes. they not? You have to find a way to get more plays than you're going right. to get when Navy has the ball. Right. I agree. The, the 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 huddle they used against Clemson was a faster pace because they got the play. They went up and they called the play. I think you'll see that. There's no reason not to. It works so well. Go do that again. The look. I agree. You can you can pass the ball on Navy. It. I would run to start. I. The only way you can possibly lose is asking Drew Pine to beat Navy instead of all of the other guys that will bludgeon Navy if they run the ball all game long. If you want to work on your downfield passing game off play action, right? Sure, but that's a good call. Run the ball first to set that up. Um, I is, and I, I get I get where Sigils is saying, or is like it makes sense. Like you want to, it makes total sense as much as you can. But I, you know, I agree with Priester and have written as much. Like Notre Dame has accepted who they are in the pass game, so that doesn't mean you can't improve that section of it but you're not going to suddenly get this all field passing game because you you practice it and ran a bunch of plays on a saturday i have Question. one go, go ahead, ahead Tim. Tim. I, I have one more to add to that tom or tommy reese drew i've done that a lot drew pine could not have come in more confident to the stanford game from how he played passing the ball against north carolina and byu and he was absolutely terrible passing the ball against Stanford. I don't think it automatically carries over to USC just because they riddle Navy and Boston College. Yeah, I, and I don't know that I agree with the newly restored confidence of Drew Pine. When when did when did that happen? I he mean, I, no, he he he. Yeah, he probably <laughs> did. He let you know he was the quarterback that beat Clemson by three touchdowns, right. and, and that's Good great. But I don't I don't know that his confidence level in throwing the ball downfield has changed much question from dashing domer has your opinion about whether or not tommy reese will be back next year changed i mean mine heightened a little i was over 50 percent, and i would think tommy reese will choose to be back next year pete how do you feel about that i i just wanted to throw this in because i just wanted to throw this in to see where we all are if i went from 55 i'd be at 60 percent now when we commented on it before you know it was post stanford loss and and the whole world was caving in on Notre Dame's offense and Tommy Reese and, and Marcus Freeman. It's a different feeling following the, the, uh, the win over Clemson. You got any I change don't of heart on this or I don't know. I yes. don't either. <laughs> I go a little more. Yes. than I was yes before. So I do have a, a very mild change of heart. Yes. That he will be back is what. Yeah. I was 55%. Yes. Then. So now I'm 60%. Yes. 
Yeah. It's still and coming it, down to his choice, I think. And again, I was going to say, and again, yeah. we weren't we weren't saying that Marcus Freeman was going yeah. to fire him. We didn't say that. Everybody else did. I think <laughs> everybody else wanted that. Kind of more so choose. <laughs> Have you answer? seen the uh, the uh, the Twitter clip that Dan Orlovsky, who I, I love yeah. Dan Orlo- Orlovsky's just unbridled enthusiasm for his job. It's it's general caffeination. It's, oh my God. I think it's, I, I think it's wonderful. I mean, he truly loves what he does and, and I can, I can relate to that a little bit, but I don't know that I express myself quite the way Dan Orlovsky does, but he said, um, maybe sometimes I do, but here, this was a comment he would today, he was pointing out something that, I feel like we've been saying here for a while, but nobody wanted, wanted to hear it. And here's what he said. I think Nordic play caller Tommy Reese is up for the conversation as the guy who is using formations and personnel, the best in college football. He's throwing so many different formations and motions and shifts at defenses to help their offense, to help their offense play better. And that, I mean, that's what I've been saying. Like you'll, you'll hear, well, his offense is vanilla. It is, it's 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 anything but vanilla. The 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 formations and the motions and the shifts and the personnel, the the complexity of that is off the chart, and it it always has been, and I think has become even more extensive this year. Yeah, it's could you could you argue that they Reese tries to do too much stuff? Yeah, you definitely can. Um, I think it'd be an interesting conversation to have with Orlovsky about like can you do this much stuff in a college offense and consistently be as sharp as you need to? Cause I mean, what happened with your quarterback first play of the Stanford game, you have a delay of game or a motion penalty. You're just like, what is this? Um, You could do it with Jack Cohn, right? You could do it with Jack Cohn. Yeah. I just, I always felt like, I mean, Reese, if you just put him in a vacuum where you just like get to scheme up stuff like you do in the NFL, I think it'd be great. Um, I think that would, that's, he is, if you were, if you, you put him in an all ball environment. I think he really, really thrives. You remember, and this is not trying to sound right. The Syracuse game where he threw the pass to Styles the screen and Styles dropped it. Yeah, I said uh, right before they hit him in the foot. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, he didn't drop it. Yeah, no, he missed the pass. Drew Pye missed the pass. I, I misspoke. Before the play started, I was like, I would just run the ball here. And the people next to me who know a lot about football were like, No, why would you do that? I go because you don't have a quarterback that can pass it. And then the ball bounced, and I just thought. I get it. It was a great call. Pete, you are totally right. It was a great call. It was a beautiful call. It was all set up beautifully, but you're you're asking someone too often to do something. It's the same thing when Brian Kelly was trying to put the weight of the world on Dane Christ and then Tommy Reese. They're not good enough. Don't don't put the weight of the world on them. Make them do other things. And I think that is Reese's biggest in-season issue. His number one issue is of course bringing in the perfect or the right quarterback, a top-tier quarterback and making him a great quarterback. Number two is I think you have to, he's realizing what can my quarterback do and what can he not do? And sometimes it's even less than you think that you have faith in. Do you re- like when you're watching a game, do you think Pine's going to hit that throw? I'm just talking about a random throw, a, a throw. Do you think four I weeks bet Pine's going to hit that throw? Four Any weeks throw. ago. You would four weeks ago. Maybe, maybe Tommy Reese did four weeks ago. Yeah. Maybe he did four weeks ago and that, that hurt the Stanford game. That's very possible too. I'm just saying if, if you're going to nitpick Reese, I do think it's on the, Look what you have. Look what you're asking him to do. Just because you're right doesn't mean it will work. Yeah, I agree. I feel and like a lot of times that. you hear yeah. like, oh, we got the we got the look. We're right. in the right, right look. And 
anytime I hear that, I immediately think of Charlie Weiss because he used to say that thing all the time. When Going for a touchdown. Play, yeah. Offensive play wouldn't click. Oh, we had the right look. Well, okay, congratulations. <laughs> like that, that is worth nothing in the box score. You do um, have to weigh the percentages yeah. of the possibility of success with the right look. Right. We yeah. had people's wide open for the game winning three from 25 feet, but he just missed it. Yeah, it happens. I mean, that might happen. I really want to install this complicated inbound play for my third grade basketball team this afternoon. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. I can't run it. I can't believe Tory Jackson didn't hit that pull up 21 footer. Really? You can't believe that? Okay. Question from Florida Irish 76. Hypothetically, Notre Dame plays like they have the past two weeks, runs the table, and wins the Gator Bowl to finish 10 and three. Aside from quarterback, and health, what does Notre Dame need position-wise or program-wise to compete and possibly win a national championship in 2023? Can I hijack that question and ask Pete Whoa. Sampson if they can beat LSU in the Gator Bowl? Is that possible, Pete? No. Okay. I, I don't think LSU is going to be in the Gator Bowl. <sighs> I don't care. I'd like to play LSU. That'd be fun. Um, I mean, quarterback. Not- I think everybody would like the Notre Dame to play LSU. Oh, as, as long as that the, month of prep. Oh my goodness! As long as the outcome would be, then, they, <laughs> then it wouldn't. Then they wouldn't like it so much. What an but, off season that would be, one way or the other. That's yeah. right. So what do they? What do they need? Obviously, quarterback. We just got right. So how? About that. Let's think about first who can come back because who makes a difference if you come back, right? Exclude Mayor from the conversation. Let's well, no, Mayor's of course not. I, I'm back. like, yeah. I think you're thinking Brandon Joseph, Cam, Cam yeah, Hart. Like Brandon Joseph guys. and Cam Hart should come back so they can continue to play football next year. I bet they both don't. I bet you Brandon Joseph does not. I could see Cam Hart coming back more so. Paris Leofow? He has to come back, right? Where's he think. going? Where's Maris I, just, Leaf, I think huh? when the year started, probably his mindset was like, all right, I'm going to ball really? out this year. Yeah, but he can't do yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, Braden Lindsay started, we thought he was going to ball out. Yeah. I know, year. but that would have been yeah. like one year as a starter. He'd be right for yeah. the NFL then. So we're thinking everybody except for Joseph and maybe Hart. Um, then you have like the weird ones like Justin Adamiola as a sixth-year guy. I, I don't get it from him, but maybe they could talk him into it. Yeah. I just Cam Hart lived with Kyle Hamilton last year, right? Yeah, you're probably right, but and and all and all Cam Hart lived through was Kyle Hamilton getting ready for the NFL draft, and I've, I you know, he and he has a good he has a good skill set. I don't know that he's accomplished enough to 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 just you know walk into a high draft pick next year. But I think that if we ripped on Kevin Austin for going pro and Cam Hart goes pro, I think there needs to be a little energy on this show ripping on people going pro. That would be ridiculous that Cam Hart thinks he's going to go pro and guard NFL wide receivers next year. Uh, I hope you're, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. With are you, you. guys, just, Pete, are you disagreeing that Cam Hart can play in the NFL next year? Uh, no, no, I'm not. I, I just like want if I, if I had a, a bunch of shoulder player. injuries, right. I'm not sure I would come back to get another one. Yeah. You know, that is, that is a, that's gotta be a big part of the equation. So Chris his, Tyree, Chris Tyree making. back. I guess you don't need a running back anyway. So it doesn't matter if Chris Tyree comes back because he helps your wide receivers. Well, so I, the question said, is they need wide receivers. They need wide receiver help and they need. Well, they probably need to resign or recommit Keon Keeley. Yeah. Well, I was, was going to say, say they need to get, pa- they need to get at least one pass rush. I just was, I wanted to say that out loud, Tim, but who gets pass rushers in the portal, right? Oh, those guys just go pro. Uh, LSU got one. Yeah, that they did, and actually, Florida State got one. Um, yep. 
in last year. So yeah, okay. That, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think there there are quality pass rushers out there that aren't quite ready for the NFL and want want an upgrade in the school that they're attending. I mean, so they got to be graduates probably for Notre Dame though a little bit. If you're being realistic here, I think that's going. I don't know if that's going to change in time. This is a topic for another podcast, but like, I think Notre Dame is having a come to touchdown Jesus moment on the transfer portal right now. I think so too. And I, and I like, there's a Stanford, I can't remember his name and I don't know that he's inclined, but. Oh no. Yeah. You're a freshman. Uh, Yeah. Number 23. Yep. Number 23 right. Um, I'm blanking now because you're blanking. Yeah. I'll get it. Keep talking. I'll get it. I, you know, I, I, like I had heard that, you know, maybe he might be one. So, you know, you would have to get the undergrad transfers. That's, it's going to be a sticky situation and Notre Dame absolutely has to address that and come to some type of compromise, I, I guess, because man, if you're, you're, you're like, if you say you're competing for national titles and you're going up against USC and they're bringing in 22 new guys, right. David Bailey. Oh, he was a big time recruit. Yes. Yes, he was. He's uh, on the table of tables that exist. I'm just, I, I, I'm not saying that I have any Intel saying that that he's going to transfer out of Stanford, but Stanford's terrible. And academically he would fit obviously in Notre Dame and he, they would let him in and guys like that, you know, guys like, I mean, Brandon Joseph to, to a large extent, we went, we went off the rails here, but quarterback wide receiver defensive end. Is there anything else? Let's say they have a, regular amount of people coming it's back. like too much um <laughs> i don't you're, you're losing foskey and mayor um lug and patterson man like next year was a national championship contender I, f- I feel like they're a couple years away um like that took it, maybe I'll, i will i will certainly feel different next summer but like if i said will Notre Dame have more talent on the roster next year or this year more developed talent because the freshman class only counts right halfway, year? right? The freshmen right. only count halfway. Yeah, I would say this year. You mean like twenty twenty three? Yeah, which Mayor, ro- which, which roster is better? Twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three? Oh, twenty two. Okay. Um, well, this one's more. Ex- this one's this more one. experienced. This, I think Pete's right. This one because you can't count ten of the twenty-two freshmen coming in. That you're trying to the twenty-four yeah, right, freshmen right, coming right. in. I guess it's just yeah. like, and I I ask that only because it's like for your if your expectations are Notre Dame winning a national championship in twenty twenty-three, um, that's tough. Um, I think making the playoff next year would be a huge huge accomplishment. Question from David Lopez Five: Have you heard anything about how the young offensive linemen are progressing, particularly Billy Shrouth, Rocco Spindler? Ty Chan, Emil Wagner, Pete. I have heard some things. The only guys that I've heard um, some good stuff on are Shrouth and Wagner, um, and even, um, geez, I'm I'm sorry, Ashton Pat, Craig, Ashton Craig, yeah, Ashton Craig, are, Pat Pat Coogan as well. I have, uh, I haven't really heard times. anything on Coogan, but the other three I've heard, like, yeah, it's like they've done some good stuff. That that is a there's a big gap between like. Hey, they've done some good stuff and they're going to start next year, but like, no doubt. they feel I, like they've got guys there. I haven't gotten, I man, I know people want to hear it, but I haven't heard a positive feedback on Rocco Spindler. I have not either. So, um, but Billy Shrouth, yes. I mean, we can remember Harry, he in August saying that he was swimming. His head was, was swimming, you know, with all the things that he had to learn. I mean, Wagner uh, made the varsity this year. It's worth noting. He was a varsity. Yeah, I think I think they like Wagner. I know they like Billy Shrouth. I know they like Pat Coogan. 
I know they like Ashton Craig. I, I could, you know, any way you look at this, you know, where are they with, where's Andrew Kristoffic going to be? I'm not sure that Harry Heastan sees you, a future you, with him at, at How do you at not guard. bring back a 25-year-old Andrew Kristoffic if you don't love Spindler no, I, and Schroff as a 20 or a 19-year-old? Yeah, you no, have I, to, right? I agree. But I, I like, I think Coogan, I'm kind of getting the sense that he could compete for a starting guard spot next year. And I'm also kind of getting the sense that they think that Billy Shrouth may, may be ready to do that. Now I loved him coming out of high school, right. coming off an injury. He, see his mobility. He, he is, he is such a mobile offensive guard that I think that that's really, really attractive. Then Ty Chan, I've heard some good things. It, it's going to be a really, really interesting competition at guard next year. And you need Rocco Spindler to, I mean, he's going to be a junior next year. You need him to, to step forward and, and what, you know, the experience within the program. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, that's his year. Like we, people wanted Rocco Spindler to play this year. It was always a ridiculous comment on people that don't talk to coaches. Um, Rocco Spindler needs to be ready to play next year. Third year in the program. Yeah. Second year with Harry Heastan. That's his time. This year was never his time. It was people were saying, "Well, he beat out Josh Lug," and it was just so silly. Like you're just listening to the wrong podcasts that are tell you things about freshmen. He wasn't going to beat out Josh Lug. Jo- Look at Josh Lug this year. Josh Lug is playing so well in the last like three games. It's four years older than Rocco Spindler. Of course, yeah. he should be ready to play. Like it's yeah, Rocco Spindler's time should be starting next year. I, I still think you, and even if you think those guys are going to beat out Andrew Kristoffic, should you be honest if you're a Notre Dame coach where Kristoffic could win the job and if one guy gets hurt, he's clearly the guy. Like, you need players. Andrew Kristoffic would be an invaluable fifth-year senior on this team next year, no matter I what. Don't, I don't disagree, but I, I think you would agree with me that that it, it's likely that Harry Heastan doesn't look at him the same way that yes, we did certainly I, after he started eight games last year. I would say but, a little, little context. Chris Watt, Nick Barton, similar college careers, hmm. redshirted as freshmen, played special teams as sophomores, started as juniors. Like, that's normal. Like, we right, have a very right. perverse sense of Leo offensive. Leo yeah, we have yeah. just a, we have a screwed-up sense of offensive line development because of Blake Fisher and Joe Alt. Like, that is incredibly rare. That does not happen. Um, so, Rocco Spindler is still – on track to have a normal offensive line college career at Notre Dame, yeah. but it's got to, he's, he's got to kick on next year. Question for Mason Plummer odds. We see Steve Angeli against Navy. Better than BC worse than USC. Fair. Why better than, no, I'm sorry. Worse. No, BC will be the time we see Steve Angeli. That's what I'm okay. saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with how you correctly phrase that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not the wrong part yeah no yeah. better i think he will play against boston college when notre dame is obliterating a boston college team that quit i mean we have an idea of like what, what the score margin needs to be for him to get in right because marcus has talked about oh we, we were going to put on Angel- in there but then we gave up a touchdown like it's got to be more than three scores and it's hard to be more than three scores ahead of navy does he play tim against navy yeah the the line's 15 and a half. That would suggest <laughs> that it's going to be too close for him to, to get in the game. I, I agree with you. I think it'd be more likely Boston College. And our last question before we get to predictions is from Plaque ITFB. 
What names on each side of the ball do you predict we hear as having a breakout game versus Navy? Oh, post game? Yeah. Defensively, Xavier Watts. Yeah, that was my guy. That's yeah. my guy too. All right. Yeah. So we know we we're it's <laughs> they only have four we... offensive players. I'm not saying anybody on offense. Uh Tobias Merriweather catches a deep one again. I think this is the week Mitchell Evans finally catches a pass. I agree. Man, they love Mitchell Evans. Tommy Reese loves Mitchell Evans. That was a great evening. Jared Parker loves Mitchell Evans. He is a I mean, he's a big time blocker. We know he's athletic and can catch the ball. I think that's a good prediction that this is a game that he but it was like, do we though? Like, yeah, yeah. in the 2021 we have Blue to see it in the game, all of us no, want th- Mitchell Evans running down the field. are like, who is that guy? Mitchell Evans looked good in the 2021 blue goal game. And as you know, that game is never wrong. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm basing it upon. Pete is, is okay, that, all right. that glimpse, but I mean, I, you know, we know he's, he's, I mean, he's long and athletic and he's a pre I mean, he is a surprisingly good, this is a guy who played quarterback as a senior in high school. <laughs> And he's a, he's a really good blocker. All right. We're going to take uh, predictions, Notre Dame Navy in Baltimore. I don't have a great handle on this game. Uh, This team has been very fun to cover, but very difficult to predict uh, with any kind of level of accuracy. So I'll go Notre Dame 34 Navy 13 for no particular reason. Um, I just, I think that Notre Dame will be able to dial it back offensively and Reese will stay disciplined as a play caller to just run the ball um and then just keep running the ball and maybe they get some play action shots there but probably not a week where i think Notre Dame opens up um you know, actually i downgrade it 30 to 13 there you um, go there yeah you go. 30 to 13 as i think it will be probably not uncomfortable but not comfortable either it'll fall in this weird gray area in terms of the vibe of the game i am not confident in my pick Unlike last week, Pete, when I was, um, I am going to was go. That, was that Syracuse? Was that the Syracuse <laughs> no, no, pick? Or it was last one? week. Okay. They were never going to lose. Um, I was looking for like more props in that press box. It didn't happen. Anyway, um, I am with Pete a little bit that he will dial it back and just make sure this win happens. They are not in a position to work on things as much because two weeks ago, nobody liked them. Uh, I'm in the 28 12 range. So they will cover. And it will sneak over, and I do not want you to follow my guidance if you're betting on this game. I do not know the answer to the I betting think, on this game. I, think I don't you've made know it, the answer to bet I on this game. I think you've made it perfectly clear, <laughs> clear from the outset of today's Irish Illustrated Insider. I was that more confident not... in the Notre Dame win over Clemson wow. than the cover on Navy. Wow. How's that? <laughs> wow. Well, I'll have my prediction in tomorrow's uh, Irish Illustrated preview. And the next time you hear from us, Irish Illustrated will be reporting from the press box in Baltimore. Until then, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.